this week on Life and Faith. I think we would all be tempted by the ring. I can't think of like a single person who wouldn't be. There's one thing you need to be philosophical, and that's to be born. How do they cope with the challenges and the grief of life? He felt the guilt lift off him almost in a physical way. They are the psychological foundations of why people burn out. Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. And I'm Justine Toe. Now, if you are a fan of the author J.R.R. Tolkien or his Lord of the Rings, did you know that this September, it's been 50 years since Tolkien died, but the love of his work lives on. And today we're discussing Tolkien and Lord of the Rings on the show because we're marking Tolkien Reading Day which falls on March 25 every year. Now, Justine, what is this? Yes, I only recently discovered this. Mm. It's a day when, surprise, surprise, the fans kind of gather together and read through Tolkien. Uh, Various writings of his could be the novel, could be his letters or his essays, just the sorts of things that people really uh, enjoy of Tolkien. It was originally started by this UK-based Tolkien society, but... Other fan communities have taken the idea and run with it, like Tea with Tolkien, which is run by Caitlin for sister, and we'll be hearing from her today. And she's also going to tell us about the significance of March 25, both within the novel and outside it. Like in the novel, it's the day that the One Ring is destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom, taking the Dark Lord Sauron with it. And it's also a date that has big resonances within the Christian tradition that Tolkien was writing from as well. Yes, absolutely. Now, there's practically a Lord of the Rings industry, big movies and games and TV shows that have been adapted from the novels. But for people who aren't familiar with either the books or the films, Justine, and there's some of them out there, (laughs) tell us, what is the story? Okay, so Lord of the Rings is an epic fantasy about this Dark Lord, Sauron, who invents a ring which is supposed to represent ultimate power and the desire to dominate all living things. Standing against him are the combined races of Middle-earth, the land that this Uh, story takes place in. So you've got elves, wizards, dwarves, men who are the fallible ones apparently, and hobbits as well who are like a a race of halflings they're known as. They're the size of children let's say but they're like human. And so they seek to destroy the ring and also not be corrupted by the ring in the process because that's a huge problem. (laughs) Yes it is. It's right through it. Now what about Caitlin Fasista? Yeah so I spoke with Caitlin Fasista. She runs the online community Tea with Tolkien where people from all around the world gather online for a book club experience. I also really liked discovering that Caitlin has written a guidebook or like a companion journal to Lord of the Rings. It's called To Middle Earth and Back Again and it's designed to help you kind of journey through the book because it's quite a big epic experience and it helps you reflect on it as you go as well. And it turns out she was also invited to meet the creative team behind the recent Amazon Prime TV show, The Rings of Power. She was seen as someone who could mobilise the fan community out there. So we'll hear a bit about that as well. Yeah, so here is Justine's interview with Caitlin, who describes herself as a hobbit at heart. Love to know what that means. It comes down to enjoying life in a simpler way. One of the most endearing things about hobbits is that they don't strive to be the greatest warriors. They aren't trying to become something that they aren't. So they're happy with their place in life and they are 
content to enjoy the simple things about life, like, you know, a, a good meal spent with family and friends. And um, they kind of seem to embody like a contentness. Now you run the online community Tea with Tolkien, but how did you first get into him in the first place? I first came to Tolkien through the movies. Legend tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries, it has now been found. Is it secret? Is it safe? I think the first one came out when I was about nine or ten. So I saw the first movie, and I believe I saw all three before I actually was able to get the books because my parents didn't read Tolkien, and so they weren't really familiar with his stories. Are you frightened? Yes, not nearly frightened enough. And I just became obsessed. I was learning how to write Elvish on my homework, and anytime we had a school project, I found a way to work it into Tolkien. So. Um, if it was a calligraphy project, an art class, I would do an, a Tolkien quote or, um, <laughs> you know, things like that. So it kind of began when I was younger and it's just something that's carried with me for all of my life since then. How does Tea with Tolkien celebrate Tolkien Reading Day? Last year, I actually was able to host a local event and that was really cool. And it was also a lot of work, so I don't think I'll be able to do that this year. But I actually had a friend who's he probably knows more about Tolkien than even I do. And so I had him come prepare a little talk and we met in our church's basement. Actually, they have like a little parish hall and we had snacks and drinks and he gave like a 30 minute talk on Tolkien. And then we all discussed it as a community. So being able to get together for an in-person event was really cool. And I highly recommend it if people are able to, but I know there aren't always a ton of Tolkien fans locally. So a lot of what we do is online with Tea with Tolkien. So we'll usually put out something special, like a special podcast episode. And then in our Discord community is usually where most of the conversation happens. So we might have a voice chat or something like that to kind of all read our favorite passages. And what are some things that keep coming up in those discussions? What are people really grabbed by? I think for... Most of us, the biggest thing about Tolkien is the message of hope and the idea that beyond all shadows rides the sun. Like that is just such a I love that. Massive... Is that a quote from him? Yeah, th yeah, that's from Tolkien. Say that again. Um, that was really beautiful. No, beyond all shadows rides the sun. Wow. I just feel like that's really at the core of everything for him. And it's something that you're able to carry on with you into your own real life. So you have this fantasy story, but it's able to equip you with the hope that you need to get through your own life. And so I really feel like that's probably one of the biggest themes. Um, and it's something that just comes up time and time again. There's usually a shadow, but you're able to see beyond the shadow to see the light and to hold on to the light, keep walking towards the light. And um, it just keeps you going. Now that line, above all shadows rides the sun, appears in one of Tolkien's poems that Caitlin likes to read aloud on Tolkien Reading Day. It appears toward the end of Lord of the Rings, and the hobbits Frodo and Samwise are in Mordor on their way to destroy the ring, but Frodo is captured, Sam starts to feel despondent, but out of nowhere he begins singing this song. 
In western lands beneath the sun, the flowers may rise in spring. The trees may bud, the waters run, the merry finches sing. Or there maybe tis cloudless night, and swaying beeches bear, the elven stars as jewels white, amid their branching hair. Though here at journey's end I lie, in darkness buried deep, beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows rides the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. So that's just like one example of the hope that you can find from Tolkien. Like he can acknowledge that even though he's currently surrounded by darkness, that there is beauty and light, even if he can't be a part of it, even if he can't enjoy it. um, And if he can't see it, he knows it's still there. And that's something that brings a lot of hope. That's one of my favorite poems ever. Um, and one of my favorite Tolkien passages. At the heart of Tolkien is this idea that like, all we can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And we see that especially as Frodo and Sam are getting closer to Mount Doom and like every single step is a struggle, but all they need to do is just move forward. Just keep going. Um, even, Even when you've lost all hope, like if you can maintain the tiniest little shred of hope and just keep putting one foot in front of another and just believing that that is going to be enough because in Tolkien's stories, it is enough. And I feel like as a Christian, I would believe that I would believe the same thing. We'll get into the Christian aspects of Lord of the Rings a little later in the conversation. But here, I asked Caitlin how she first got the idea to run Tea with Tolkien. Was it anything like the way J.R.R. Tolkien himself started writing his epic? The story goes that he was marking papers one day and out of nowhere, inspiration struck. He wrote down the fateful line, In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Did anything like that happen to Caitlin? For me, I've always loved writing and I never really had a good outlet for it. So I actually, when I first became a mom, I, I, I saw all these mommy bloggers out there, you know, um, writing about their kids and their babies. And I thought, well, I'm a mom now and I want to write. So I'll just write about being a mom. And while I really do enjoy motherhood and, and being a mother, um, I just really didn't enjoy writing about it. And so every once in a while on my mommy blog, I would end up publishing something about Tolkien. And of course, no one wanted to read it because that's not what they were there for. And then it was such a random, it was just like one day, the thought just clicked. Like, of course, like, why don't I just start a separate Tolkien blog? And so that's really where it all started. And so it was kind of just a place for me to publish the things I was thinking about with Tolkien and a way to connect with other Tolkien fans, because I didn't really know a ton um, in my like local community. So it just started from there and it's just gotten, it's grown crazy. That online community has grown to the point that Caitlin was identified as an influencer in the Tolkien space. Along with other Tolkien content creators, as she calls them, Caitlin was invited to engage with the showrunners of the Amazon Prime series, The Rings of Power. I am not the hero you seek. Whatever it was you did, be free of it. One day this will be your kingdom. Raise your sail and then let go. Choose not the path of fear, but that of faith. When the email invite first popped into Caitlin's inbox, she thought it was a scam. 
it wasn't. And given the experience she would go on to have, it's a good thing she didn't ignore the email. The first thing that we did was they had, um, they brought myself and like 30-ish other Tolkien content creators and writers and, um, and such like that. And they took us to Oxford and they basically showed us around, took us to like different sites of significance for Tolkien, um, just to kind of like set ourselves in his shoes. And that was really cool for a lot of us who hadn't been there before. That's amazing. Um, and then, Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just a really nice day. And it was a really cool opportunity to connect with the other Tolkien creators and writers. And then we also got to see a couple different clips from the, the first uh, season of the show. And that was when we got to speak with the showrunners and have a little Q&A session. And we had like a cocktail hour with them. And just kind of hear their thoughts. They they obviously didn't tell us like anything that's secret, um, but just it was nice to get to know how they were approaching this, what their mindset was, and kind of see that they really did seem like they were genuine in their love for Tolkien. And um, that was reassuring. Was there a moment that you remember where they might have said something that demonstrated a knowledge and a love of Tolkien and you were like, this might be okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, there there was actually, um, they were talking, the showrunners were talking and they just out of nowhere quoted one of Tolkien's letters and they knew. So to take you back, there's a book called The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien and it has like about 300 letters in it and each letter has a number. And so when the showrunners started quoting the letters with the number reference, I was like, oh, okay, maybe they do know what they're talking about. What have you thought of the series? Because it's split people for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. like in terms of Galadriel, the elf queen. Sorry, I'm a fan, but I don't know <laughs> the exact terminology to use for her. That's okay. But she's been changed into more of a warrior figure for the series, let's say, which I gather is not quite the vibe she had in the original kind of text. I don't even know what original Tolkien text it's supposed to be based on. That's a that's a very loaded question. I feel like people have spent hours upon hours debating that. But the Galadriel that you see in the Lord of the Rings movies is several thousand years older than the Galadriel that we meet in Rings of Power. And so I think what the showrunners were trying to show is that she's this kind of wise and prudent and very like somber queen in the movies. So they want to see how did she become that? So the way that she starts out in the beginning of season one is very different. And so I think that was a little bit shocking for a lot of people. But then the nature of the type of elf she is, it's not something that contradicts it. So I feel like um, there were definitely some choices made with the show that I, I might not have done myself. But I also feel like we're still so early on. Like if there are going to be five seasons, then we're only 20% done. And the way I look at it is like, if you were looking at a painting and it was only 20% done, it would be hard to criticize it because you don't know where it's going. Mm. And so I'm, I'm definitely trying to like hold back my judgment on the series as a whole until I can see the finished picture because these showrunners have, they have it all in their minds, but I don't. And so it's kind of a weird spot to be in. I do feel like they did a lot of really good work um, they definitely made some strange choices that I'm not quite sure like what's going on with it. But overall, I've been really, really, really happy with the show and, and I've really enjoyed watching it and I can't wait for season two. Now, fans don't always react well when the adaptations aren't 100% faithful to the book. 
Can mm. I ask what's your experience of fans uh, when they themselves aren't Catholic or Christian, but then Tolkien says stuff like, Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Well, I feel like the way that Tolkien approaches his writing is something that makes him so universally loved because he isn't trying to push anything on you. He's simply writing from his own mindset. And so because he was a Catholic, his own Catholic philosophy kind of flows out onto the pages, but he's not trying to make anything into an allegory. He's just writing a story. And the fact that the story is Catholic is simply because he is Catholic. And so I haven't really run across too many like good arguments against that because again, it's just a really, really good story. And the messages of like hope, you know, courage and fate, they're kind of universal. Someone might say that there's no no obvious God in Lord of the Rings, but Mm -hmm. can you kind of shift our perspective? Uh, How is religion or how is Catholicism present in the work, even if it isn't as obvious as we might think? So to that, I would say, read the Silmarillion. I know that's a that's kind of a cop out of an answer, but if you open the Silmarillion, like the very first sentence is about the God who created the world that Middle Earth exists in. And so you might not get to meet that God in the Lord of the Rings, but once you've acquainted yourself with the um, creative God in the Silmarillion, you can kind of see his hand at work throughout the Lord of the Rings. And especially at the beginning of the book, when Gandalf is talking to Frodo as he's realizing what he's been given. He has this ring um, and he's realizing the weight of it. Gandalf is comforting him and he's like, listen, there are forces at work beyond Sauron and these are forces that are working for good. And that really, if you think about it, that is like this unspoken force of fate or you might call it providence, but really it's the hand of God that you would say is in the story and his name is Eruvatar or Eru, um, also called the One. And so once you get to know that from the Silmarillion, it definitely helps, but you can still see it if you're only reading The Lord of the Rings. You're listening to Life and Faith from CPX, and we're talking about J.R.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings to mark Tolkien Reading Day on March 25. And we're hearing Justine's interview with Caitlin for Sister, who runs the online community Tea with Tolkien. And we've just started getting into the ways in which Lord of the Rings is a, quote, fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Now, that was the way Tolkien described it anyway. And at this point of the interview, I asked Caitlin to tell us about the idea of eucatastrophe. This is a term coined by Tolkien, and it's one that illuminates the religious dimensions of Lord of the Rings. Eucatastrophe, you can think of it as the good catastrophe. So it's a sudden turn of events that brings about an unexpected happy ending in a story. And you see it all the time in Tolkien. Um, All hope is lost, and then suddenly um, something happens, and then the the day is saved. the biggest one in the Lord of the Rings is in the end of the story when Frodo gets to Mount Doom and he has the ring and he just decides like, you know what, I can't do it. I'm going to keep the ring for myself. But then, you know, Gollum runs up and it's through him that the ring is actually destroyed. So that's like the greatest catastrophe of the Lord of the Rings. And um, can I pause you there? Because like, can, yes. can, can we talk about 
this failure of Frodo to destroy the ring? Like, why is that significant? I really love the way that he wrote it because we all like to think, you know, if I was Frodo, I would destroy the ring. I wouldn't be corrupted. You know, I would be able to get all the way there and do it. But the whole idea of the ring is that it is so powerful that no one can stand against it. And that's when fate, like we talked about earlier, has to step in. And it's through fate that Gollum brings about the destruction of the ring. And so it's just an example of like, when there is something so evil and so powerful, like we can't stand up against it on our own. We need help. Some people are content to say that's fate, right? As as you just said, that Frodo couldn't quite throw the ring in. But Gollum, who's also lusted after the ring for so long, comes and ends up destroying the ring as well as himself. Some people will call that fate rather than the kind of like mysterious workings of God or the mysterious workings of Eru. But why do you think it's a person kind of pulling the strings somehow mysteriously behind the scenes rather than just this is how it all turned out? It was always meant to turn out that way. Well, I feel like in Tolkien's works, the idea of fate and providence and the will of Iluvatar are kind of all the same thing. And so it's it's just this force that is at work. And you think of Sauron as a force who's at work, but he, he's working towards evil. But you have this opposing force who is more powerful and is working towards good. And he's able to take choices made in free will and kind of weave them into his own will. And it's through that that the day is saved in the end. Finally, it's the moment you've been waiting for. What's the deal with March 25? What is the significance of this day within the world of Lord of the Rings and without? On March 25th in the Lord of the Rings, that is the day that the One Ring is ultimately destroyed. And so that's obviously a really big deal in the story. And Tolkien actually gives us that date. So we have March 25th. um, That's the day that the realm of Sauron has ended. But it's also... Just to add to the significance, it's the date that Sam Gamgee's daughter, Eleanor, is born uh, a few years later. And so it's just a really loaded day within the world of Tolkien. But then because Tolkien was um, a Christian and a Catholic, he was heavily influenced by his faith. And so in the Christian tradition, March 25th is also a really important day because Catholics celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation on that day. And, um, And what is that? So the Feast of the Annunciation is the day where Christians remember that um, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, like, you're going to become the mother of Jesus. And then she says, you know, she accepts this. And it's kind of like the beginning of her quest, you might say, in her her mission in life. And so when you think about Frodo's quest wrapping up on that day, and we know Tolkien would have known the importance of March 25th. And so it's just a really loaded day. Um, March 25th also kind of has a loaded tradition um, in Christianity. It was traditionally believed to be the day of creation. Obviously, we can't know like an actual date for it, but it was traditionally held as this. And I think Tolkien would have known this because he was so steeped in Mm. his own Christianity and beliefs. Um, And then it was also early on regarded as the day of the crucifixion too. Yeah, let, let's talk about that for a minute because that's huge, right? Like what right. What exactly is the ring in a way and why does it right. need to be destroyed on in Mount Doom on that day? It's very pregnant with meaning, don't you think? <laughs> right, and it's very interesting that like Tolkien didn't have to give us a date for it. You know, he could it could have just 
happened. You know, it could have happened in springtime, but he gives us a date in the appendices. And so he doesn't do things without reason. Like Tolkien doesn't just throw things around. Like if he's going to give us March 25th as this important date, he's going to do it for a reason. And as someone who knew his Christian history and tradition, like we can see that he chose this very specifically. And the ring isn't an allegory. Like he's very adamant that none of the story is allegorical, but we do see a lot of symbolism here. Like obviously the ring has a lot of corrupting attributes similar to like the way we would think about sin. So it's just loaded. Yeah. I mean, it represents what temptation, power, Mm -hmm. freedom in its ultimate sense, the power to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. It's kind of like it tempts its bearer to, to, to like reach out their hand and take more than what has, has been their lot in life. So Sam Gamgee carries the ring for a brief amount of time. And the way that he is tempted is by the idea of having like massive, massive gardens and just, you know, having other people tend to them for him. But then when he kind of comes back down from the temptation, he's like, I don't want that. All I want is my own garden, you know, my own home to care for. And so I think it's because the hobbits are so humble and so aware of what they want and kind of what their life was meant to be like, that they are able to resist the ring a lot better than a lot of other characters. So are you suggesting that any of us who have plans for world domination might be kind of like <laughs> tempted towards the ring? There's a ring in our own lives to think yeah, about? Yeah, I think we would all be tempted by the ring. I can't think of like a single person who wouldn't be. I did come across a line from one of Tolkien's letters. I don't remember which one, <laughs> um, where he says, the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest eucatastrophe ever. Mm-hmm. What's going on when he makes that sort of claim? Yeah. So really when you get down to it at the heart of his whole idea of eucatastrophe is that it is a Christian concept because you see that in the story of Christianity, when you have God who comes down, he's become man and everyone thinks, you know, he's, he's here to save everything. He's here to save the day, but then he dies. At that point, everyone sees it as, you know, all hope is lost. They failed. Maybe they feel foolish for even believing it. But then the eucatastrophe of this Christian story is that he comes back and, you know, it turns out he didn't fail. And that's kind of like the resolution of the story. So for Tolkien, that is the greatest eucatastrophe that he kind of bases all of his own eucatastrophes on. When Tolkien says the resurrection is the greatest eucatastrophe, he's like fusing, you know, the world of fantasy, Mm -hmm. I suppose, with his own kind of... Christian, Catholic imagination. And that's a really interesting thing. It kind of, it makes you feel, oh, the magic is real, right? Like it's, there's a power to that. Right. And I, I feel like that's something that Tolkien really strongly believed because he had this idea of the true myth, that all of our myths will ultimately point us back to the true myth, which is what he sees as the Christian myth and our story and our history within that. So he sees the idea of the stories and the myths that we're writing now as something that can reflect what he sees as the true myth, like the ultimate myth. Caitlin happens to be a convert to Catholicism, but that religious conversion happened after she became a huge Tolkien fan. So I asked her what changed in the way she read the books after she became a Catholic. There was a lot more um, symbolism 
we see Lembus bread, which is the way bread of the elves that they give to the Fellowship of the Ring as they're journeying. That is very strongly symbolic of the Eucharist. So Catholics believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of God, but it doesn't go that far with Tolkien. So there, there's no like divine properties to Lembus, but the way that Catholics have a devotion to it as something that is nourishing both for body and soul. And it's something that can give you strength of will. It's very, very special. And it, um, it's, it's something that can give you strength on your journey. And the way that the hobbits, especially Frodo and Sam relate to Lembus, that is something that stood out for me, like very strongly after my conversion is like, wait, this is really similar. <laughs> yeah. Well, it keeps them going and it's all they need really, even though it's a very humble kind of like bread to eat every day sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of just the idea of like a, something that's spiritually nourishing and, and the more you, you know, eat a little bit at a time and it just gives you the strength to go on. And that is very similar to the way that Catholics uh, relate to the Eucharist. Fascinating. Um, it's like 20 years since Peter Jackson's The Return of the King this year. It's also mm-hmm. 50 years since Tolkien died. Why the enduring fascination with these stories? I mean, the main reason is that the stories are just so good. They are timeless. They have themes that will carry on forever because people are always going to need hope. They're always going to need courage and fellowship. And these stories just offer something like you can you can escape in a way into a world that can sometimes feel more real than our own world because Tolkien wrote it so well. But I also think the way that there's this kind of continual drip feed of different kinds of media related to the Lord of the Rings. So we had the movies and then we had the Hobbit movies, but we also have a ton of video games and they're all just trickling out all the time. There's video games. And then of course we have the Rings of Power, which I think has really revitalized the Tolkien community. I know tons of people who are coming to the Lord of the Rings through the Rings of Power. Um, And that's been really exciting to get an email from someone who's like, I watch the Rings of Power and I really want to read the Lord of the Rings. Like, can you help me figure out where to start? And that's exactly what adaptations are for. And then we also have, I mean, we have another Lord of the Rings movie coming out in 2024 about Rohan. Um, And then we have just recently a, a deal was announced about I think it's with Warner Brothers we're gonna have even more movies coming out is that like Um, the reboot though of no they're not rebooting it's like maybe different storylines different time periods so it's not gonna be a remake of the actual Lord of the Rings movies it's gonna be something different and we're not sure what but it just seems like Tolkien's stories speak to everyone over the years like even though times are changing and people's needs change like the world is changing, but his stories are just so universal that they kind of carry you through the years. As you said as well, um, quoting Tolkien earlier, behind all shadows rides the sun. There's always going to be shadows. Yeah. We always are going to need the sun or at least the hope of the sun. Right. You're never going to not need hope. Yeah. 
You've been listening to Life and Faith from CPX with me, Simon Smart and Justine Toe. Yes, and happy Tolkien Reading Day. Yep. Thank you to Caitlin for sister for talking to us about all things Tolkien. You can head to teawithtolkien.com if you want to join the online community or maybe you want to check out the book and companion journal that Caitlin wrote for Lord of the Rings. It's called To Middle Earth and Back Again. And if you wanted to meditate further on that poem that Caitlin really enjoys and that Elliot Kern read out for us, thanks for doing that, Elliot, search online for In Western Lands Beneath the Sun. But I'll also link to it in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode and are a Tolkien fan, you might want to pass it on to them too. Or maybe leave us a rating or review. We certainly read them all. Mm -hmm. Thanks also to our producer today, the unparalleled Alan Dowflate. Next week. Christianity tells the person whose life is in ruins, first of all, that it's not that surprising, that it does not mean that you are a uniquely wicked person who has screwed up in a way that no one has ever done before in the history of the world, which is often how people who are accusing themselves feel because our culture is not always very good sometimes at preparing people for the rubbish their own motives may lead them towards. <laughs>